0: The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters.
1: The one thing which I love about my work, and clearly it's not financial because I'm primarily a legal aid lawyer, is the thank you card. Every time I get a thank you card and I open it and it says, thank you for saving my life, Mm -hmm. that's priceless. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives me to do the
0: work I do. A master of his subject, very informative, humorous, personal, inspiring, and very thought-provoking. So said the master of the rolls, Sir Terence Etherton, about today's guest, S. Chelvin. And he's not the only one lining up to praise Chelvin's devotion and passion for his work at Number 5 Chambers, practising in human rights, LGBT asylum and public law. A hero to the clients whose lives he's transformed, shaping the law and government policy along the way. It's always a pleasure to be in the company of Chelvin, who joins me, Kevin Poulter, for this episode of The Hearing. The Hearing Shelvin, thank you for joining us today uh, for the hearing. Thank you. I've known you for a while. I know. It's going to be
1: like a chat rather than an interview.
0: (laughs) Well, you say this, but then having done my research now, I feel that I don't actually know you at all. Oh, Um, thank you. Because there's so much more more to you than meets the eye, if I can say that. And, And you've referred to yourself in the stuff that I've read as a storyteller. And I think that you're often quoted as saying that I tell the stories for those people who can't Otherwise, tell their own. Well, did you the mean the mouthpiece for, you for those who know the words but have no voice? Yeah, that's the one. Um, so now it's time for you to tell your story. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to leave it there and let you take us away with um, how you've come to be here at Number Five Chambers and uh, in, in a very relatively <laughs> summary <laughs> way. Three hours.
1: Okay. Well, it's quite interesting because um, at the beginning of September um, this year was the 40th anniversary of me coming to the UK as an immigrant. Uh, and I, I always believe that life is a journey not a destination um, and my career at the bar is very much embedded with uh, a selfish self-interest to empower myself as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in uh, Southampton as an undergraduate in the late 90s where there was an unequal age of consent for gay men and lesbians compared to our straight counterparts. There was no uh, anti-discrimination measures, there mm-hmm. was a ban on openly serving gay men and lesbians, The yeah. young forces. Um, there was no such thing as civil partnership or, or it, it was same-sex marriage, not legal hmm. marriage. Um, and I thought, well, this is wrong. And I was a bit of a student activist, uh, <laughs> Kelsey Preece. I'm um, not surprised by that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, causing trouble in, in all sorts of quarters. And my, my problem, well, if it was a problem, was that when I went to university, um, having grown up in a little seaside town called Worthing in Sussex, mm-hmm. um, where basically I felt that I was the only gay in the village, Um, realising I was different by the age of 14 and then formulating that difference in the same-sex attraction definition. That Mm. when I went to university, I did, you know, the usual thing of, okay, um, go to the freshest... Fair, um, you know, could I be straight? No, couldn't be straight. Going to the finding out when the gay sock was yeah. called Pink Sock was, was was happening, doing the usual thing of walking outside the bar, sort of going one <laughs> one side of the room to the other, thinking, Can I go in? And the lovely gay guy coming and saying, Do you want to come in? And I thought that was the end of it. Well, it was it's quite, yeah, it, it was that sort of experience of acceptance mm. that there were other people like yeah. me. Uh, and that sense of you know, uh, as Thomas Morgan says, you know there are two types of family and I'm reading his book at the moment there there's the the biological family and the logical family. And I started creating my logical family. Mm. As a black man, uh, I always knew about my difference, and my mm. parents very much brought, uh, my brother and I to celebrate our difference, being a Sri Lankan Jaffna Tamil, we were told about a civilization coming from the Indus Valley. So, you know, at the Mohenjo Daro and Harappa in northwest Pakistan, um, where we were a civilization three thousand years ago, where. Yeah. You know, Western European civilization was very much of going, you know, going to the cave where we had cities and grid patterns mm. and poetry and architecture and uh, and um, everything to do with that. So we were told, look, be proud of who you are. Mm. So when I realised that I was different, I thought, wait a minute here, you know, this is me. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a segment of me. It's what makes me human. Uh, and when I saw the discrimination um, based on being lesbian and gay and you know okay. Southampton had an anti-discrimination policy in you know in the mid-90s which says that you can't yeah. discriminate yeah. on the basis of sexual orientation and then there was the armed forces which went to the careers mm. fair and mm-hmm. I thought well as, as a gay man I can't even go there and mm. pick up a leaflet saying that I want to be part of the armed forces it's not that something I do. it was a hypothetical um, and I thought well this is wrong and then I realized well what are we going to do about it so you know being a student activist I was a representative of a university senate in court uh, and i thought well, wait a minute here the university gets a lot of funding from the armed forces mm. and i thought well wait a minute that's inconsistent with the anti-discrimination policy mm. so i raised that university wow. senate in court and the engineering faculty got slightly worried about it all <laughs> uh, and i raised the matter in court and the section registrar said well the discrimination is legal and i thought mm. well, wait a minute here
0: yeah.
1: there's something wrong with the law and that's what well, we're we were studying at the time. Politics and law. Okay. Now, <laughs> I, I, I did civil engineering beforehand. I mean, you know, this is not, uh, you know, we don't have enough time to go through the whole history. But, um, you know, for me, it, it was it was a pattern that, you know, my mother was a doctor. Um, I was the eldest son. I was expected to go into medicine. Right. And um, at 14, my mother, you know, we had, I went to the state comprehensive first of all, well, secondary school, and, and we had a, a careers week in 14. And 14 was a very important year for me because, it, you know, when I realized it was different. And then, um, my mother said, look, you've done all this medical, medical medicine sort of you know, preparation. preparation work experience. So why don't you try something different? And uh, I thought, okay. And there was an opportunity to work shadow the magistrate's court at Worthen. Magistrate's court. Right. And I work shadowed a barrister there. This was a 14? Yeah. Okay. And, um, and you know, it was, it was, looking back on it, it was most really basic, low traffic yeah. Yeah. Uh, accident claims. And I thought, well, I want to do this. Um, because um, one of my earliest memories at five years old in Coppola Primary was being asked to tell a story of Gold and the Three Bears. <laughs> and standing on that chair and reciting this as a, you know, this is the late 70s. And looking around the room and seeing my friends, just like watching me and listening to mm. me. And it was a thrill of telling that story and having people listen to my every word. That gave me a real buzz. So I, I came home at 14, you know, back from this week at Worthing Street School and told my parents, look, I actually want to become a barrister. Mm. Uh, and the look of my parents' <laughs> face is you know, sort of jaw-dropped, like, hmm. Uh, and my mother said, well, d- don't worry, you know, you can become a doctor and then ab- <laughs> learn, learn a barrister, and explain that. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, to cut a, a long story short, you know, the, when I was 16, I, I went to a, a local public school called Lansing College. I got an exhibition there. And it was that whole sort of feeling of, well, I'm doing science A levels because I'm told, you know, I want to go, in, you know, I should go into medicine. I already al- already realised I was very much attracted to people of the same sex. Mm. It was this double life. Um, mm. And it was this pressure of having to conform mm. uh, to what was expected of me. And, and and that's very much a thread of the work I do even now. This, the yeah. expectation of this normative um, conformity, which, Leads to persecution mm. in the countries where my clients come from. And it was this, this huge pressure of having to conform and knowing, you know, at 14, there was Section 28, Kay May 1989, you know, uh, w- uh, April 1989 is when I realized I was different. And my English teacher, she knew about me,
0: mm. you
1: know, and she gave me books such as Alice Walker's Color Purple and James Baldwin. Right. And these were books where I read about same sex attraction. This was in a yep. Roman Catholic state school. And I thought, well, you know, mm. Th- this pressure, this constant pressure to, to conform, to be able to fulfill what is expected from me. Um, and then doing civil engineering, then a very good lesbian friend of mine said, look, Sheldon, look, you, you, you're not a civil engineer, you should politics <laughs> or law. Uh, because I was debating, I was debating on behalf of the university at European level, my personal tutor in civil engineering was loved it, I said, mm-hmm. look, you could, you could go out there and become mm-hmm. a consultant civil engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, what, you know, the sort of square peg in a round hole sort of mm. scenario. And then somebody said, well, there's this degree called politics and law. And after that, you know, a uh, very good friend with actually the lecturer who who told me about this, and you know, and uh, we're we're very good friends socially now. And 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 suddenly I'd found my my mm. calling mm. Um, because it wasn't just you know forget forgive the pun straight law. Mm. It was in fact you know political theory and mm. jurisprudence and why we and international relations. Um, which drove me to sort of say, well, look, you know, political theorists talk about the activism and the passivism, and I thought, well, if I want to change the world, you know, I need to be part of that change, mm. and I want to change my world first, and if a byproduct of that is
0: it changes other people's lives, then then that's all the better. Mm. And that brings us pretty much up to date. So that that combination of law and politics is really have sort of influenced your entire career, yes, yeah. and and brought you to the work that you're doing now. So just to expand a little bit on on the work that you're doing uh, on a day to day basis, um, you've had some <laughs> you've had some huge like you've had some huge landmark cases, uh, not only at home but also across Europe, um, and and, and are making an impact on this global stage um, to, to make that change and to, it, to talk about your 204. Sort of celebrating the difference of not just your heritage but also of being an out gay man and the lgbtq plus community um and and that clearly has an impact on the work that you're doing now
1: oh yeah i i mean you know for the past 16 years i've been working specifically in relation to asylum claims based on sexual gender identity um and it has been um in one way a struggle Mm. Uh, the first um, obstacle is to educate the decision maker so um, a a lot of my work has been symbiotic between uh, litigation um, academic and also policy work Mm. because that's the only way in this sort of arena that we're able to affect change Mm. so at the beginning it's all about sex Mm. you know can the gay person or the homosexual as we were then Mm. called uh, forget lesbians um, can they have sex in the bedroom? And as long as they can have sex in the bedroom, or that the punishment is only four months in jail, that's case called <laughs> Brim that's fine, you know, and you don't have a right to have sex because you're deviant, you're the other. Uh, and um, I, I was very lucky. Um, well, I say lucky, I, I, I worked for this. I, I managed to uh, gain what's called a Kennedy Memorial Trust Scholarship to mm. go to Harvard. Uh, and I specialised in international human rights and the lesbian gay liberation movement. And, and to go, uh, I mean, America is an experience. Um, one, you know, you, you, you say you're a Harvard Law and you have an English accent, you have a lot of fun. Um, but <laughs> but more, <laughs> more more importantly, to, to be able to learn sort of the concept in relation to uh, um, issues of queer liberation. Um, you know, I came back a huge activist, uh, not always attractive in that sort of sense, mm. because you'd believe you've got to go and, you know, completely destroy the patriarchal heteronormative um, uh, hierarchy uh, but what what it did is it gave me time to explore and consider these issues in relation to how the law should be used mm. English legal education is very important because it tells you a plus B equals C mm. where Harvard taught me well you want to go to the end point which is e you've had the formula mm. uh, and that's what completely changed you know I know where the law should be um, you know my tunnel Hindu mother used to tell my brother uh, as three things. God, when you ask God a question, God says three things. Yes, no, or later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and being uh, the eternal optimist I am, mm. I always believe that when the court of appeal says no, I was like, I oh, haven't quite understood the point yet. Um, we'll come back later. Yeah. So for, for example, um, a case I did in 2016 called SP India, CP India, about uh, flagrant breaches of Article 8. So I had my clients who are Indian married same-sex couple, lesbian Mm. couple, who had come over the UK, still partnered and got married. And we said, well, wait a minute here, if they return to India, they have nothing. There's no recognition of their marriage, no protection under human rights um, framework. And at that time, the case of Kosol in the Supreme Court of India in 2013 had come out and we said, look, that's an example of showing how the Indian Supreme Court Mm. is looking at the Mm. position of gay men through criminalisation. Uh, and the um Court of Appeal said, No, it's not a flagrant breach. Uh, they can still go back and live together. Um, who cares about you know it's not the who cares, but mm. you know, the the, the the ramifications of the legislation aren't so great. Well, of course, at the um end of August, beginning of September, we had Johard, the Supreme Court case in India many months ago, and you read the judgments yeah. and it says quite blatantly we have to apologize for the criminalization mm. because it was a mm. clear violation of those human rights. Mm. Now it's it's amazing that, you know, in two thousand sixteen we were saying. It is a clear violation of the Human Rights Court of Appeals says no. Supreme Court of India says in 2018 it is. Yeah. So it's all about marking the sand, testing the waters, pushing the boundaries.
0: That's, that's it is. And the, there's an element of keep knocking at the door and it'll open. But, yeah. so, but, but it's, it's knowing when that's, that will happen. And for so many people around the world, that's a very much a bolted door with, uh, with, with some, I don't know, the chair under the door handle behind it as well. Like that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy door to push. Yeah, but you need to keep on pushing. Um, we we will never affect change. I mean, we, you look at
1: um, how we've been able to empower ourselves as human beings. I mean, when it comes down, to my basic premise is that you know we we will never get full equality, mm. but we've got to get as close as we possibly mm. can because that, that's a normative presence. Mm. You know, we are supposed to be equal, and it's about education, it's about impact, it's about visibility. So that's why you know a lot of my work is not about just going into the courtroom and litigating a point. It's being visible as an Al queer mm. black. You know, came out of the, way, you know, the 40th, first generation immigrant. I use all those labels interchangeably because when it comes down, to it, I'm a human, mm. uh, and it's because we have to identify ourselves within these these groupings uh, to affect change, to educate, to be able to combat ignorance and fear. Mm. Um,
0: that's the most important tools. And and you, you studied law and politics. Uh, do you think that you can have, or oh, people generally can have more? Power to, to effect change as lawyers or as politicians. We've spoken to a lot of politicians during the course of this series and last, but mm. th- th- who has the Supreme Court in India which made the change? Yes, India, yeah, in Germany. In the see. UK? The Gina Miller case. It's, absolutely, Yes, yes
1: I, I mean, well, you know, I, I think this is the, the age of the lawyer. We achieve so much more um, through. Um, the law than we do in politics. I mean, you see the genome in the case uh, mm. uh, and other cases. I mean, for example, you know, uh, uh, we have lots of people going to politics um, from this chamber, uh, Jeremy Rives, as well as Fernandez. I was a um, Southampton with Connor Burns mm.
0: um,
1: and you know uh, but my, you know, my my husband and my best friend Norm actually forbid me from ever going in, into politics because so I just get so angry uh, and I For health reasons as well no well, doubt well, yeah, but the whole, whole point here is, is that we do have um, the three organs of the state mm. and the judiciary is a very important check and balance in, in relation to that um, and uh, because you know You know, Parliament um, enacts law, government um, proposed law, and and the judges check the law. And uh, it's, you know, whenever I go and do presentations about what it means to be a lawyer, you know, what is one of the most important parts of an effective democracy, an independent judiciary. Mm. And we see that the world over Mm. we see what's what's happening even you know recently with Hungary Mm. the Hungarian president in in imposing those that those laws especially in relation to anti-migrant refugee laws having a judiciary which will basically do his bidding Mm. in Zimbabwe you know you know, the Rohingya crisis. You know, all mm. these examples are where there's no check and balance, and one of the major checks and balances is through the courts. Um, I don't have time to play politics. I don't have time to make false. And I'm going to say this quite clearly. You know, clearly, you know, they must be advancing um, policies which they don't believe in. Mm. And I'm very lucky to be in a part of my life where I actually am doing the work which I'm passionate about and yeah. I believe in. Um, that's completely independent of the the cab brand because of of the work I do, the fact that I I can be an activist lawyer Mm. um, in not only the courtroom but also in the academic um, field and also through policy work by Mm. bringing those strands together to be able to provide that voice, that safe space. Mm. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, suffocating the, the voice of the individual refugee. It's talking about providing that safe space so therefore the refugee is, can speak and be listened to. Um, and that's what's
0: so important. And at the root of it, it's a, actually a very simple message. Yes. Um, it, it's not something that's particularly complicated for people to understand or to work around. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And yet we're still at a stage and a time where people don't understand and, and they still need the education and the, and yes, it takes time, but time's moving on uh, constantly. And we, so we've seen change in India, but how many countries now are still? Well, so it's, it's 70, 70, isn't it? I mean, we
1: had the Trinidad and Tobago judgment in New yes Carolina, I know they're, they're appealing that then, of course, Johar. Um, and we have to see, see what happens, but criminalization is only, uh, only the starting point. Mm. I mean, that's what the Johar judgment showed, you know, um, and, the, and the last judgment clearly said, you know, we have all these, you know, the, all the various articles of, of the um, Constitution, Article 15, you know, uh, non-discrimination on the grounds of sex, um, you know, same-sex marriage, anti-discrimination employment. I mean, I, I was fascinated. I mean, one of the personal parts of that judgment was that uh, Menika Guruswami, who was the only female lawyer uh, making those submissions really? to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, 18 years ago, uh, Menika and I were in the human rights seminar of Henry Steiner's... Uh, uh, seminar series at Harvard together. So, you know, the fact that, you know, you can be in, yeah. in a seminar with somebody who 18 years later is making submissions before the Supreme Court of India and it was her submissions which won the deck. Mm. Um, and, that, that and that showed me that, you know, you can affect change. And, and the Johar Judgment will not only be heard in India, but throughout the Commonwealth. I mean, mm. I do a lot of work with the Sri Lankan LGBT organization called Equal Ground and Rosanna Flamera and I are very good friends and mm. I recently written an article which has been published in, in their newsletter about, you know, the Johar Judgment has to be seen in the Sri Lankan context. In November 2016, the Sri Lankans were being caught when it was that issue was raised regarding what is section 365A of the Mm. Penal Code of Sri Lanka. What Sri Lankan Supreme Court said is that this section of the law is very much part of the constitution of the the law of Sri Lanka. Um, And what was initially happened is those two individual um, gay men were um, 13 years ago sentenced to um, 12 months in prison by the Magistrates Court. So the Sri Lankan Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. It's a first-time offence, but we're going to increase it to 24 months, suspend it for five years. And the reason why we're suspending it is because it's a first-time offence, they could have the opportunity to reform. So we have a country in the Commonwealth in November 2016, the Supreme Court of Sri Lanka, Mm. saying gay cure therapy.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and the UK Home Office at the moment says it's safe to send gay men and lesbians back to Sri Lanka. So in November 2016, the Supreme Court in Sri Lanka to say 24-month sentence for the first time offence, suspended for five years, will reform, gay cure. And now we have the Supreme Court of India in August, September 2018 saying, look, no, everybody has a right to be who they are. Mm. You know, we need to see a domino effect in Mm. relation to that. But as I said, criminalisation is only one one part of it. And what we have to see is is the whole spectrum of rights, um, equal rights, Mm. human dignity, Mm. liberty being able to be, you know, we're very lucky. I mean, Kevin, you and I are living in this wonderful London bubble yep. um, with our lives living freely and openly, as, as Lord George said in, in H. J. Iran in 2010. Because, you know, we it, it is such a difference to be able to walk down the street with the human being you love who happens to be on the same sex. When Mark and I went to Sri Lanka in, in June, my father passed away in, in February, and went there to scatter his ashes. And mm. we actually went on the Sri Lankan, uh, Columba Gay Pride. Wow. And instead of the huge you know, hundreds of people which gather here in London or New York or Paris or Madrid, there was a one double-decker bus mm. um, where 70 activists, including the Deputy High Commissioner uh, of the British High Commission, the Ambassador of the US, saw US, off, all in a bus, just standing on a bus with our placards, mm. blowing our whistles, dancing, singing and dancing, lesbian gay men, trans people, uh, just having a good time for mm. an hour. Mm. going around Colombo blowing a whistle you could see the faces some faces were very supportive yeah but other faces were resiling you know in, in complete shock and horror mm. um, and then after the hour the bus stopped by the museum everybody got out and dispersed wow and that was gay pride in Colombo yeah okay so that shows the difference about how you know you have that window of freedom and mm. you saw the jubilation you felt the joy mm. of everybody on that bus uh, for that one
0: hour mm but otherwise they'd have to be invisible. Mm. And, and it p- reminded me of what it was like. Yeah, and, and but seeing that, and, and, and with your heritage there as well, that, do you feel that this is something that, people, not just you alone, but you and, and everybody else working together can actually conquer, that we can affect that change? Or is it? does it feel like it's a, a, a lonely job? No, it, it can't be. I, I mean, how can we not affect change? You
1: know, even within the past 10, 15 years. Mm. You know, when my my husband and I started dating in two thousand one, there was no such thing as even civil partnership. Mm. You know, we didn't want to do the you know it was, I think the London Assembly Ken's you know registration yes yeah uh, scheme which you could do. You know, I proposed you know, I'm a hopeless romantic and I proposed <laughs> to my husband uh, on our one year anniversary in in, in Florence and you know, got the ring and you know, everything else so, you know, so and engagement we're right here, um, and we never even dreamt that there was anything called civil partnership. No. And then of course civil partnership mm. came along and. That wasn't enough, you know, because equality has to be equality. Mm. Um, and it drove us even more as a, you know, I know one of your guests uh, last season talked about there's no such thing as an LGBT community. She felt the community was, was, a, was, a, was akin to a farm. Um, well, we we do rely on forming networks, mm. forming these communities, to be able to give us strength, mm. to give us protection. You know, political theorists call it group differentiated individuals. You know, we know we are different we see other people like as we form the group. It's a protective measure mm. yeah? and it's only through this that we can
0: get our liberation, our, our equality. And in terms of the work that you're doing um, are you a, uh, I suppose, a proud now British uh, advocate, uh, or are you sometimes maybe ashamed of of what's happening over here? Like, so we're achieving so much, mm-hmm. um, particularly with LGBT rights, but, but but human rights generally, we're we're we're, we're doing well. We're, we're pretty much at the top of the tree, and yet you're working in a field where we are potentially turning people away and saying no. Our, our, our generosity doesn't quite extend as far as your human rights
1: well it's, it's not just human rights I mean the whole culture is completely changed I mean my father first of all came here initially in the early 70s this was just before the, the 1971 Immigration Act came into force in '73, uh, and remember, Britain's got a huge history in relation to the Empire with mm. respect to what is in effect, was an open border. Absolutely, mm. uh, with the Empire, uh, and you just came in. Of course, that's not to negate the racism embedded in British um, culture. What I've, I've learnt is this so-called, you know, relaxed migration, which politicians have bantered, um, Labour, Conservative, whatever party. I mean, I, I don't trust either party, Tories or Labour. You know, Labour has very much championed its fact that it was a champion of gay rights. And then I remind them between 2004 and 2010, they <laughs> sent back LGB <laughs> asylum seekers back yeah. to countries where they knew they would be persecuted, but for their voluntary discretion, which is reasonably tolerable. So, you know, uh, they Labour's got blood on its hands. Um, Very much so um, for, you know, in effect, silencing um, gay refugees back into these countries where they had to live a life for the rest of their lives. Mm. Um, What I'm I'm finding more and more, and we've seen this with Windrush, you know, I mean, nobody who works in in this field saw Windrush as a surprise Been working in these cases for years. Wow. Um, And, you know, David Lammy did a, a great mm. job in, in highlighting that, but it still took him some time. Mm. It wasn't automatic. Yeah. Um, and this is the culture of the politician. Um, but, you know, the immigration rules, okay, let's look at the immigration rules, let's look at even outside the side. Immigration rules are supposed to give a guidance in relation to the thresholds, the, the categories which an individual needs to achieve mm. to be able to have permission to stay here. yeah, yeah? Um, Or entry clearance into the United Kingdom and we see more and more that applications are denied on a mere technicality right you haven't ticked a box
0: right um,
1: and it shows that it, the the immigration rules are being used in the way parliament has envisioned them to yep. enable people to succeed mm. the immigration rules are now being used in a way to ensure that people don't succeed, mm. uh, and we, you know, here in, in London we have a population of nine million, where multicultural, where multi everything, mm. and it makes us liberal people. Makes you know, I believe in multiculturalism. I think multiculturalism is a very important part of the British fabric of society because it makes us better people. Mm. Because it makes us more not tolerant. I hate. To, I, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be celebrated.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And that's what's so important. And you see that with the Brexit vote, is that where, you know, the vote was so much in favour of Brexit. It's where the the communities hadn't really immersed themselves in this this wonderful culture, which we call British. So when when you say, you know, am I proud of being British? I say British in the sense that I am
0: everything and anything. Mm. And you talk about being celebrated. I just want to pick up on that because... You have been celebrated. Uh, you, uh, several awards to your oh, name, back huge accolades. <laughs> but, but you have been, and I think that what what comes through in reading about these things is, it's 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 not necessarily always the profession that is the profession, but it's it's such, it's so much wider than that, and it comes from your clients. It comes from the people who you are affecting real change in their lives. You are keeping them alive in many occasions. Uh, you are you have been you're a hero, and this this is something is which is difficult. You're obviously a very <laughs> humble person uh, and modest. But um, on one hand, you're a hero, but also on the other hand, you're bearing this incredible weight of responsibility for your clients, for the people that you're working for. How do those two things sit, sit with you? Well, uh, uh, I, I think it, it comes from very much um,
1: the, the personal, and this is getting very personal here. Uh, when I came out to my family at 21 at University, I was basically disowned and disinherited. Um, I came to a stage across both of my life where I could not couldn't carry on lying Mm. Uh, and uh, it was the first week before my first year exams Um, so my mother said look um are you gay I said yes I am cutting a very long story short and she said look you've got two choices either you know be celibate for the next five years and we'll get you married off or you need to leave home and that wasn't really sort of a choice for me because Mm -hmm. I basically said to the the one person in my world who I who was a barrier for me to be able to live openly Mm -hmm. and who I was so you know I um was basically told to leave home. My stuff was sent in eighteen dozen bags of nineteen cardboard boxes, and wow. by my family solicitor, the family solicitor, saying I was disowned and disinherited. Um, but what I did have was the people around me, the university, my friends, mm. my logical family, logical family, yeah, who very much supported me and believed believed in me. I had nothing. I had no money, nothing. Um, but I believe that look. You, you, you have to liberate yourself from, from the lies, from the, the secrecy, from the, the shadows, from the margins, to be able to live your life fully. And because these people believe in me, I mean, Caroline Thomas, who was my um, personal teacher in politics, You know, every time I got down, she said, look, you've got so much more to give. Hmm. So I wasn't allowed to be hmm. selfish. I wasn't allowed to think about what I wanted, but what I needed to do, what I needed to go out there and do to change the world. Um, and through that, you know, I, I managed to get a first at Southampton got the scholarships to, to pass schools mm. and Harvard and everything. And, and I thought, well, look, I've got these skills to be able to use yeah. to empower others. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to the whole thing about, you know, what I am is a storyteller and an interpreter. Mm. And all these people who, you know, compared to their lives, mm. where because of their difference, and they could suffer security of rape, torture, murder, <clears throat> because of their difference. Mm. Um, I have a duty to be able to represent them mm. and provide them that that channel of communication to be able to to uh, to be able to gain refugee status. Now, you know, a lot of my clients are drunk apart 13 years in the system. Um, didn't know that she could come and claim asylum on, being, on the base of being lesbian. Told her story, mm. but, you know, the adultery found by the um, husband's Muslim family sent before the Sharia court. The one fact she did not disclose is the the relation, the adulterous relation it was with a woman, not a man. Wow. Dismissed. Went through the system, yeah. commit, uh, convicted of various crimes, forced European um, EA marriage um, applications, uh, gone, then came out in 2012 said, look, I am a lesbian, totally disbelieved. Mm. Um, the you know the, the tribunal in 2012. I mean, you're you're an internet savvy person. I said, look, you, you can take your name off the internet. You know, mm-hmm. and and you know it could be another drunk apart uh, so, submitted a DVD of her having sex with her girlfriend um, to the High Court. Wow. Um, and then you know in 2011, you know, what happened was after the Supreme Court case of H. A. Iran. Um, it moved from discretion to disbelief. So mm. it wasn't you can go and be discreet and please be tolerable to prove that you're gay. Mm. So I created this model in 2011 in conjunction with my PhD work at Kings, and that's the DSSH model. Depends Just to explain a little bit about it, well, um, briefly, we do running out have time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, and it's a different stigma, shame, and harm. Yeah. Not when did you realise you were gay, but when did you realise you were different? Yeah. And then stigma is the stigma that the the, uh, the external community, family neighbor, mm. you know, state, reaction to people who are different. Shame is the reaction any human being has when yes. they're, they're told that they're, they're wrong. Yep. So different stigma of shame comes in the narratives of the majority of LGBT people the world over. What makes the gay refugee is hard. So it's about broad categories. It's not a checklist of questions. Mm. It's broad categories of trigger questions to enable investigation of these points. These mm.
0: And now that's endorsed by the UNHCR. It's, it's incredible. World. Yeah. It's incredible. It's being used and yes. it's succeeding. And it, again, it's back around to what we're talking about at the start, which is giving people sort of a bit of a format for them to share their story. Yes. And I'm going to have to stop it there, I'm afraid, but thank you for sharing your story. Um, I was, uh, there's lots, so much more I can talk to you about, we'll have to do it over a drink another time. <laughs> okay. Uh But the, the, the final point I want to bring up is, is there an optimism for the future? particularly in the UK, but also on a global scale. I'm getting the impression that there is. There there has to be. Because there's no alternative. No, no, no.
1: no. I mean, it's it's not just... I mean, the the one thing which I love about my work, and clearly it's not financial because I'm primarily a legal aid lawyer. I don't have a flashy suit. It
0: it
1: is is a thank you card. Yeah. Uh, And every time I get a thank you card and I open it and it says, thank you for saving my life, Mm -hmm. that's priceless. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's what drives me to do the work I do. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Keep doing it. Uh, you know, it's appreciated. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you. The Hearing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Please like us or just follow and subscribe. We also want your feedback. So rate and review us or get in touch using the hashtag The Hearing Podcast. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.